There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So I've been getting a lot of emails from people asking me how I like being on at 3 o'clock. And everything you do, whenever you change anything, it's a huge adjustment. Because you get into patterns. It doesn't take long to create a habit or a pat. Well, I guess it does take a while. Because um, I was at noon for years. So my life was partitioned into the morning and then the post-afternoon. And now I have like this whole morning into the afternoon. And then I have to be available suddenly in the late afternoon, which is not something that I ever had to do before. So it's been an adjustment, but I must admit, in a way, I really like it, especially when Dan Bongino is on fire the way he was today. He's generally on fire, but he was really just uh, smoking. I, I have to actually turn him off because otherwise I just want to repeat everything you know that he said. And, you know, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work for me. I got to be original. And it's, you know, I, I was thinking about what kind of thought processes people like him and people like me have, because you know that it, let, let's pretend that we're all driving a car. You may actually be driving a car listening to me, right? And we're going somewhere and we know that if we take this shortcut, we could save not just time, but we could save gas and gas prices are up, which is a huge win, especially if the shortcut is applied to something, you know, that you do daily, going to work or going to uh, your, I don't know, visit your mom. However, what about the shortcuts that we take when we're thinking? Mental shortcuts are very natural for me. It saves time, it saves energy, but I have to be careful because mental shortcuts can get me into trouble. I know that sometimes quick thinking is really important, especially on the air, and especially with only an hour, right? I have got to think quick, and other people aren't moving at that same speed or that same pace. So I was thinking about meta-thoughts, which are the thoughts that you have about your thoughts. If it gets too deep for you, I get it. But if you're an effective, critical thinker, which is what I hope I am, I think the human mind is the most incredible tool that we have at our disposal. And the degree to which we use our mind impacts every aspect of our life. It's safe to say that the most successful and impactful humans on the planet have learned to utilize their minds at incredible levels. And you think of people like Elon Musk, you think of you know, people like Dan Bongino. I find that they are good critical thinkers. First and foremost, they 
have a tendency to maintain a belief, even in the face of all kinds of contradictory information. It's kind of like a default, and I know I have it too. I've always believed this, so therefore it's correct. And it shuts you down. It closes your mind off from possibilities and opportunities. Like what if the opposite of what I think is actually true? I also, and I hear it in other people, especially uh, Bongino, who I guess I'm studying more intensely than ever before, is that we believe in cause, probable cause. We like to think about the causation and the correlation of things and therefore we assign certain outcomes to things. And is that, you know, is that a good idea? I'm not sure. Just because one thing happens and then another, that doesn't mean that the first thing caused the second. I'm just thinking out loud and I'm sharing it with you because I think it's important. I think you need to exercise some good critical thinking skills when you have as much going on in the world as we do now. You have to be able to organize and categorize your ideas. You have to analyze and evaluate information because not all the information coming at us, whether it's coming at us from a trusted source or coming at us from you know the universe, not all of it is valid. And some is more valid than others. And you need to find the connections and the causations and the correlations based on the data. So I'm just trying to help people dig deep when they hear different opinions. Remember, what you're listening to today, right now, is Joyce Kaufman's thoughts. It's based on the information that I have input into my brain. Just as when you listen to uh, Bongino or you listen to Eric Erickson or you listen to Brian Kilmeade or you listen to Jen and Bill, they have access to the same information I have. They process it differently and they probably don't have the same opinion. You know, sometimes I listen to Jen and Bill and I go, where did they get that idea? From the same news story that I'm looking at. Same thing happens with Brian Kilmeade. He depends heavily on guests and callers, I notice, because there's so much information. He has access to so much information, and he's doing so many hours, three hours on television in the morning, three hours on the radio right after that, another hour or two, he shows up on other people's shows. You know, It's like constant trying to come up with your own spin on the same story that everybody's looking at. I sort of envy the fact that he is as nimble as he is. Somebody said to me yesterday that they really enjoy Jesse Waters and that they hope that he gets a bigger viewership because apparently they're all struggling on Fox. And I thought about that. Like, do I give Jesse Waters a fair chance? I think I did. I think I remember enjoying him very much when he was on with Bill O'Reilly and he'd do those little man on the street segments and Somehow, and this is my world, started annoying me. Like, that's what I'm talking about. This is my world. This is the Joyce Kaufman world. But I don't need to tell you that. You know that. You've been listening to me probably long enough to know me better than you know your spouse. Because people hold back 
I don't hold back, right? So you know, you know what I'm saying. People anticipate and predict. I like to be a little unpredictable, but it's very difficult. Like today, I look at this story and nobody is talking about this. And probably because Ben Shapiro's not on the air, nobody is going to talk about this. And I think it's a huge story. It's an important story to me. But people think they know how I'm going to present this story. And in this case, you're probably right. Israel and Saudi Arabia have quietly, for the last couple of years, begun to expand their interaction. That means they're trading with one another. Commerce is a big part of how countries get along. And it also means that they're probably sharing intelligence. You got to think about that for a moment. Prime Minister Netanyahu says normalization would effectively the Arab-Israeli conflict. I had to think about that. So MBS, who is the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, they call him MBS, says that there's not going to be peace until the Palestinians get their own state with East Jerusalem as their capital. At least that's what he says. And of course, Bibi Netanyahu says that's never going to happen. Nope. So a lot of people are starting to try to figure out, are the Saudis serious about statehood for Palestine and whatever they call themselves, those people? And are they unwilling to sacrifice their own interests for the PLO? I don't think so. A lot of the moderate Arab leaders out there who are making peace with Israel, they're tired of the Palestinians. They're tired of, of this demand, this uninflexible demand that they hear all the time. We have to be a state. We are a people. For instance, the Israeli foreign minister, Eli Cohen, he recently told a Saudi newspaper, the Palestinian issue will not be an obstacle to peace with Saudi Arabia. What would the Palestinians get? You know, how do they go about this? How do they improve the Palestinian economy? Because Bibi Netanyahu is not going to give the Saudis or the Americans what they want, Palestinian statehood, because the, the very existence of his country depends on not doing that. He's made a deal with the United Arab Emirates. He's put some limitations on settlements and he's given much more money and mobility to the people living there. But Netanyahu and MBS have an American problem. They need the United States to broker the deal and to pay for it. But they don't want Joe Biden in the mix. First and foremost, he, dis, he dissed them both. Didn't invite them to the White House? Neither one of them. Not the, the, not the Prime Minister of Israel, our ally, and not the leader of Saudi Arabia. So they don't want Joe Biden. Actually, if ever there was two countries who wish they could influence an election, it's those two. If you can't get a White House invitation out of this administration, and by the way, uh, Biden said recently that he'll see Netanyahu later this year, but he didn't say where. So in other words, he's not going to invite him into the White House. 
Was he going to meet him in the, you know, the N- the UN? Because we know they'll both be at the UN at some point next year, or maybe even sooner. And Joe Biden, the president, has made normalization of Israel and Saudi relations a very big priority for him. He wants the bragging rights, especially among the friends of Israel who thinks he's been too tough on Netanyahu. So you got, it's, it's an interesting dilemma, and nobody's talking about it. The Saudis, you know, the price is going to be high to get the Saudis to be at peace. First and foremost, they want like a NATO-type security treaty, complete with the Article 5 mutual defense guarantees. <laughs> yeah, you think Joe Biden's going to do that? I don't think so. I don't think Anthony, Anthony Blinken is going to do that. These people don't know what they're doing. They walked away from the Abraham Accords. They simply don't know how to do this. So it amazes me that as much has happened to move that Saudi Arabia-Israeli peace forward. Who's working behind the scenes? It's certainly not this administration. So I'm interested in that story, and I don't understand why it's not an interest to other talk show hosts. I know they're focused on uh, January 6th and indictments and Atlanta and this and that, but that's kind of the shiny thing. Things are happening all over the world that we need to be paying attention to and we need a president who can handle them. Now, I know a lot of you are mad at Donald Trump. I get it. But did we have any of these issues while he was president? Were you worried about North Korea? Did you think Russia was going to invade Ukraine? Of course not. We knew that China was going to have to stay slippery, slimy, undercover. Now they're out in the bold, out in the open. And I don't think there's anybody left in America who doesn't think they have something on Biden. There's a committee in Congress right now proving that $20 million changed hands and Joe Biden got some of it. If that were Donald Trump, How do you think that story would have ended? He would have been impeached for real. Not these fake, phony impeachments they did with no basis or a phone call. So, you know, it's a a tumultuous time, but we can't take our eyes off what's happening in the Middle East. Nobody talks about Syria anymore. Nobody talks about Turkey. Nobody talks about the migrant problem in Europe, in Western Europe. These are big issues. These issues cause big actions. And we're not prepared for any kind of action. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. The United States military is demoralized, underfunded. They're paying too much attention to all this uh, diversity, whatever, all this uh, gendered nonsense. It's supposed to be a fighting force, not a, a, a social experiment, but then listen, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, Use your own beautiful, creative, talented mind to think, think, spot the errors in other people's thinking in this administration, spot, see things from multiple points of view and and then try to think of some solutions. We don't talk about the solutions ever. Let me take a quick break. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, or to visit our website, 850WFTL.com. 
You can participate in the contest. You can listen to the podcast. And you just become a devoted fan. How's that for a thing? I'll be right back. I'll tell you, there are some times when I look at the quality of the journalism that's out there, and I cannot believe it. It's just, it's, they don't really, they don't do any in-depth analysis anymore, and the people writing the stories are overtly hostile to the truth. There's an article in the New York Times. I don't read the New York Times. Somebody sent this to me, that the United States and Iran have reached an agreement to exchange these five imprisoned Americans for a bunch of uh, Iranians that are in jail here and, and free up $6 billion in revenue, Iranian oil revenue, and they've been negotiating this for two years, according to what the New York Times is writing. So we're talking about five Iranian-American dual citizens that have been in jail in Iran. And we're going to release from prison some terrorists. Let's just call them what they are. And then... You know, pe- people that are in jail over there, they didn't do anything. You know, they, they were jailed on fake spying charges. One guy's a, uh, an American-Iranian who's a scientist. One's a businessman. And they transferred them on Thursday from Evan Prison, which is one of the most notorious detention centers in Iran. They put them in a hotel in Tehran where they're going to be there for a couple of weeks, and then they're going to get on a plane, and they're going to come here And we, in exchange, are going to give them nearly $6 billion. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the mullahs are going to do with the $6 billion? It's for humanitarian purposes, by the way, right? So I'm expected to believe that the United States will transfer $6 billion on a bunch of uh, Iranian prisoners that are here uh and then what we put it they put i think they're putting it in a bank in Qatar and the account is going to be controlled by the government of Qatar and it's going to be regulated so Iran can only use the money to pay vendors for humanitarian purchases like medicine and food does anybody believe that's how this is going to go down does anybody think this is a good idea I want to bring home Americans. I'm okay with prisoner swaps. I am not okay with giving a country that's literally on the verge of having the nuclear warheads and the missiles to launch them against Israel and ultimately against the big Satan. Israel's the little Satan. We're the big Satan. How does this make sense to anybody? Do, do you believe that it's only going to be used for human? that the Qatar government, which is another government of basically the same beliefs, is going to have some way of making sure, we're talking $6 billion. How do you monitor $6 billion? Do you give them a billion at a time? 
And do you really think you're going to, what are you going to say? Could you give us receipts to the vendors? We want to see that, uh, that you paid for corn or you paid for flour or you paid for bandages. That's a lot of billions of dollars worth of uh, bandages. I, I'll, I'll sell them to you but that's not what they're going to use the money for. And anybody who believes that in this administration, I don't think they even believe it. I don't think they care. They they think that, you know, oh, Iran's going to play games now. We're going to play with them. Biden administration officials do not even know if there are any other Americans in Iran. Robert Levinson, they think he died. He was in, in uh, Iran since... I think it was like 2007, long time, almost 20 years, saying he was on an unauthorized mission for the CIA. What is an unauthorized mission for the CIA? Like the CIA didn't authorize him to go, but they knew he went? I, I, I just don't know. That's what his family says. So this prisoner exchange deal has apparently been underway for two years and was completed, almost completed in March, but then it got stalled when Iran detained one of the unnamed U.S. dual citizens. So we don't even know. We know three of the people were getting back, but we don't know two of the people that were getting back who they are. Iran apparently didn't want to give up these two. Who are they? So John Kirby, the spokesman for the National Security Council, said there are wrongfully detained Americans elsewhere around the world and we're working on that very hard. Okay. Sure, give them $6 billion. No, not $6 billion. You can imagine how much money that really is now. This is money that's been withheld. Iranian assets. It's been in South Korea. And now they're going to put that money in a bank in Qatar so that the mullahs can buy milk for the babies. Is anybody in this audience stupid enough to believe that? I mean, because if you are, you can be serving in the Biden administration. Let me take a break. Stay right where you are. I got lots more to talk about. Be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. When I look back, you know, at things that are truly troubling, and I think about how Donald Trump never gets credit for anything. He is always scorned, ridiculed. It's amazing to me how anybody could think that you can move the public's opinion, even if great things happened. I mean, this is the month where the Abraham Accords actually took place. It was like on August 14th of 2020. And it was, an ama- it was in the middle of the, the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
and a big election. And you had all the turmoil in Israel at the time. They were going through their election nightmares. They were ba- their government was barely able to hold on. And everybody was like, oh, you know, this peace accord, it's not worth the paper, it's right, so it's not going to happen. They would be peace, uh, you know, never. But guess what? Today, when we look back at the Abraham Accords, it changed the Middle East completely. Because it allowed countries who nobody ever thought would make peace with Israel to do that. This is a, what did Winston Churchill say? Oh, Israel, hi, I'm looking at this article. Yeah, here we go. Winston Churchill said, this is a hinge of history during World War II. And the Abraham Accords was that. And all the Biden administration would have had to do was embrace them and keep moving. Get more Middle Eastern countries involved. And now you look at this nonsense. You had, uh, you had, I'm looking at the U.S. trying to normalize relations between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the nation of Israel. And if that happens, you know, bravo. I don't care who's the president if that happens. But elections have consequences. And new leaders come with their own baggage and their own policies. And I don't think anybody really understands how divided our foreign policies have become. A lot of our allies are extremely frustrated. We have like the Republican foreign policy, and then we have the Democrat foreign policy, and because we like to keep switching who's in charge in this country, which I'm not condemning. It's a great thing. But the ally doesn't know, is this going to be a friendly government? Are they going to back me? Or not. And a lot of our friends with, well, what they've done is they've gone to the superpowers that are not on our side, China being the first and foremost. Because whether you like communism or not, you know what you're going to get from the CCP. If, if you're going to them and saying, I want to sell you oil, whatever you're doing, They'll, they'll make good. And I don't know about the rest of you, but what is that, what are, what's our position going to be in five years, never mind in 10 years? Donald Trump was trying very hard to make sure that all of our foreign policy considered us. We were the only priority to him. And the Abraham Accords was proof of that. He could have called that anything he wanted. He could have called it the Trump Accord. You know, Obamacare and, you know, Clinton, uh, NAFTA, whatever. And he didn't. He, he named it after a figure that everybody knows in, in the Old Testament, Abraham. And... Well, at the time, I don't think the Democrats opposed it. And then all of a sudden, Biden gets in office and they trash it. Not only could the Abraham Accords been a huge victory, which they would not allow Donald Trump to have, 
but we would have had peace in the Middle East, perhaps. I mean, isn't that crazy? Nobody even thought such a thing could ever happen. And instead, we have, uh, you know, this mess. They should, they should just, they should have just gone with it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's, you know, this is an administration that really is not uh, friendly to Israel at all. And it's a secondary Obama administration. Barack Obama made Benjamin Netanyahu walk through the back door, through the kitchen. These people are not, they don't think like us. They, they, I believe they're evil. I'm sorry. You know, and, and I don't know why, how it became the evil party. Because it didn't used to be like that. It was never righteous. It was always a little immoral, which kind of attracts young people. It attracted me when I was young. You know, peace, love, and do your thing. But then you grow up and you go, wait a minute. Your thing is in direct conflict with security and peace. Your thing is doesn't make any sense on the international stage. And if it's going to be a global world, shouldn't we worry about whether or not it makes sense? But we're in a position right now where we have a president who is, I'm trying to come up with the right word. I'm hoping that it's just he's, his mental capacity is severely diminished. But I've watched Joe Biden since he was a younger man, and he was always stupid as a brick. I'm sorry. We've had stupid presidents, presidents who could rise to the occasion. I mean, I don't think George Bush was the brightest bulb in the uh, bunch, but he could rise to certain occasions I felt much better with him in the White House when 9-11 happened than I would have felt with Al Gore. I'm just trying to imagine. Al Gore would have blamed it on climate. Those poor, those poor pilots, they, they, they were trying to show that uh, the clouds were hanging too low and the pollution was too great. And I don't know. Al Gore is just, would, would not have been a, a great president to have when we were at war. And they 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 attacked us. I don't care what you call it. You're at war and you get attacked. So I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm frustrated. I'm looking at all of these crazy decisions that businesses are making. You know, Disney. Disney is now partnering with some gender fluid man. Why? You know, this one of these TikTok guys, thank God I never look at TikTok because you have to be crazy. But this TikTok influencer claims that Minnie is me and he puts on the Minnie, uh, my, my, kid, my daughter had this little dress that looks like Minnie Mouse and you put the bow in their hair and they can go around on uh, Halloween as Minnie Mouse. So now they have some guy, Sean Altman, who tells his... He's got like almost a million TikTok followers. I don't know how that happens, but it did. And he doesn't want to be Mickey Mouse. He wants to be Minnie Mouse. So he puts on a dress with little Mickeys on it. And, and oh, please. What, why are we taking these people seriously? Why would Disney take them seriously? 
Disney's supposed to be entertaining little kids. I think it's not appropriate to introduce a biological gender-fluid adult man to market clothing for little girls. Is he going to be the model for all the you ever go to the princess thing? They have all the various princess dresses that cost a ton of money. But pe parents go there. You know, my daughter wants to be uh, Snow White. My daughter wants to be this princess or that princess. So why on earth are they going to put the dress on a man? Because, because they're crazy. We've allowed people to act like lunatics in public and we reward them for it. We make them stars. You can't make this up. I'm looking at a picture of this idiot dressed up. He thinks he's Minnie Mouse. Oh, please, it's killing me. You're, you, you guys have to know it's killing me. All right, let me take my break. Don't forget, I have one segment left. And right after me, Eric Erickson comes. We have all the Larson, uh, Joe Pags. We have the guys uh, overnight. And then Jen and Bill will be back in the morning to wrap up this week, followed by Brian Kilmeade. And at 12 o'clock, the virtually on fire Dan Bongino. So for now, just keep your dial right where it is. I'll be right back. So I, I try not to uh, in, infiltrate my brilliant mind with garbage, but it's virtually impossible because I do need to listen to what the liberals are talking about, what the left is doing. So I turned on the PBS NewsHour. It's got this uh, uh, John Yang is the anchor, and he had a doctor on who told people that they should be wearing masks in any, pla any place that's crowded. This is an epidemiologist at the University of Texas is pushing everyone to mask up during this very small uptick in COVID cases. And then she said, you should wear masks at home to reduce household transmission. These people have figured out that they can scare us into ridiculous things. I'm, I'm stunned. So there's a little COVID uptick happening in New York. And so the epidemiologist says, COVID is still a thing. You gotta wear masks. And I'm thinking to myself, is anybody gonna do that? So I went out yesterday I went to a couple of different, I went to the post office, I went to the jail, I went to uh, the, the supermarket, and there's people wearing masks again. Not a lot, but people wearing masks. Now, I don't know why they're wearing masks. Maybe they're sick and they just don't want to get anybody else sick. Maybe they're brainwashed. I don't know. But I feel compelled sometimes, unless it's a very old person, you know, like sometimes you'll see somebody who is, you know, on a walker in a wheelchair and looks like they're in their 80s or 90s and they have a mask on. I, I understand that they're, they're just fearful. We scared the heck out of them. But when I see a young person walking around with a mask, 
And all I'm thinking is like, why, why would you do that? Because that tells me that you had the jab, right? If you would put a mask on, you had the shot. You were scared. And if you had the shot, why do you need the mask? Because the shots didn't work. And a matter of fact, not only did the shots not really work, but people are starting to have terrible side effects manifest themselves. Heart conditions, blood clots. I'm not making that up. That's the reality. And you take that risk with any shot. If I go and get the you know shingle vaccine, which I did, I'm taking a risk. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Shingrex, which is the shot I got, there's no long-term study on it. Just came to pass. It just became a, a, a vaccine a few years ago. So we don't know what happens in 10 years or 20 years. Now, at my age, I'm not that worried about what happens in 20 years. You know, I pretty much feel I'll be somewhat reduced anyway. But now to tell people that we're going to have to get into a seasonal routine of wearing masks because this virus just might surprise us. What? I, we have no proof at all that the masks reduce transmission. And this is just overreactionary. I mean, how much hospitalization is actually happening? Reportedly, in New York City, there was a 12% rise in hospitalizations from COVID. So one out of 10 people who shows up at a hospital is sick enough with COVID to be hospitalized, which means that most people never show up at the hospital. I know people all over town who used to test themselves on a regular basis. They stopped doing that. You know, and they figure if they get it, it'll be like a bad cold and they will survive it because they're in their 30s and they're in their 40s or they're in their 20s and they're not going to they're not going to wear a mask. But, you know, the people who listen to the PBS hour, I saw them. They were out yesterday. They were wearing a mask. And they are primarily, you can look at them and know that they are just people who are afraid of everything. And in particular, people who hate Donald Trump. Don't ask me why, that people who hate Donald Trump also fear the virus. I think it has to do with IQ, but I'm not going to go down that road. I don't want to insult anybody who's wearing a mask. If you're wearing a mask, knock yourself out. I don't know why you're wearing it, and I don't care why you're wearing it. But don't ask me to put a mask on again. That ain't happening. The only time I'm going to wear a mask is if I walk into an operating room to be with someone who's delivering a baby. That's it. You know, I have coached women in delivery rooms before, but that is it. Other than that, my mask days are over. I finally threw out every remnant of a mask, like those cloth masks that we all wore with little funny sayings on them, like those worked anyway, right? They were just a political statement is all they were, right? You know, they had the American flag one, other people had the whatever. I threw them all out. You know, and and, and <laughs> my husband said, shouldn't we keep one as like, you know, just proof that we were there? I said, no, I got pictures. I got a photograph of me wearing a mask. And, and every time I look at it, I get the, I break out in hives. How about that? Because they made me wear a mask. 
Anyway, I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here to wrap up this week tomorrow at 3 p.m. And Derek will be on with me. Hallelujah. We'll get some celebrity news tomorrow. And uh, I'm glad about that. But I'll be back if it be his will and he delays his coming. All I want you to do now is be yourself because everybody else is taken. And may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.